0: Did you ever know a person who seemed to live with a certain kind of inner drive, a compulsion to make a difference? A person who didn't seem to get hung up on the tiny details, the chores and housekeeping details of daily living? A person who managed to find time to take an interest in his neighbors, other people's children, the community? church and politics, a person who is willing not only to be chair of a committee or a team leader, but to step up and to step in whenever they learned of a need and just to do the job. These people, in my experience, have a different look about them. They may not keep the neatest office or house, but they are great at keeping things moving, And they are great at sitting still and letting peace envelop them. They know what they are about. They have, for the most part, figured out a central purpose and focus in their lives and are willing to make commitments of time and money to fulfill that goal, to stay resolved, to remain hopeful, and to encourage others. They focus their lives both outwardly and inwardly. They take time to consider and question their place and function in the universe, in the world, and to transcend the daily tasks of living, to transcend those chores with wonder, a questioning kind of wonder, the wonder of awe and inspiration. I call these people holy. Holy people. Now, in some circles, we hear that if you behold a homeless person, a beggar, a panhandler, you should always give them a little something. After all, it might be Jesus. Or, there but for the grace of God go I. Or, who knows, perhaps that homeless, unkempt person is really the Buddha. Come back to life. Wearing a hair shirt for penance and testing us as well as himself. Testing our sincerity, testing our compassion and love and generosity. We all have to learn ways of dealing with the poverty that unfortunately surrounds us, and it takes some hard thinking to decide how to share our blessings with others. We have to set priorities. We have to look at our budgets and income and expenses. And we have to trim here and there in order to spread our generosity to people, to projects and organizations that will use our generosity for best value, to support our own values. Wearing a hair shirt comes from biblical times when people were either punished by forcing them to wear sackcloth and ashes probably something crafted out of burlap to identify themselves as sinners or outcasts or lawbreakers. Early and even some recent Christians wore hair shirts for mortification of the flesh or as penance for adorning themselves. Hair shirts were made of rough, rough cloth, generally woven from goat's hair, and worn close to the skin so that they would feel very itchy. When worn continuously, the hair shirt could form a breeding ground for lice, which would have increased the discomfort. Hair shirts have been worn by ascetics, saints, monks, and laypersons. For example, in a famous portrait of Thomas More, a small portion of a hair shirt appears to be visible near the wrists and at the neck under the fine robes of his office. Thomas Becket was wearing one when he was murdered. St. Patrick reputedly wore a hair shirt. Charlemagne was buried in a hair shirt. Prince Henry the Navigator was found to be wearing a hair shirt at the time of his death in 1460. The practice evolved over times, and hair shirts took on a different form. A solise, or circle of wire and barbs, was worn on the thigh for several hours a day, to remind people of God and to show their love of God and to remind them of their sins and to do penance. Now, some of us became familiar with that medieval and contemporary mode of self-torture and self-deprecation when we read the Da Vinci Code. So we refer to people as wearing hair shirts, and we usually mean today that they are punishing themselves to remind themselves to be good or else suffering a lot because of the good they do letting their hair shirts show just enough from under the sleeves or collars that others might notice. Now I just ask you, is that any way to think about your relationship with God?
1: No. There you
0: go. Is that the kind of relationship you want with your religion? No. Is that the kind of relationship you want with your church and your theology? And do you need to be punished or to punish yourselves to be good? To show others how good you are? To live a good life? No. Life is full of joy. I'm glad to be alive. And I'm enjoying every minute of every day. And aren't you glad to be alive? Yes. I love this church more than anything I ever imagined. I never dreamed I would grow to love a job as much as I love this one. I never dreamed that being a minister would develop the feelings in me that it has. With the joy and fun and beauty has certainly come some disappointment and pain, just like in any marriage or significant relationship. But I never dreamed I would come to love this church as much as I have. Do you love this church? Yes. Y'all are great. <laughs> Do you know that together we can transform and we can change the world? We're on the road to transforming some things in Shreveport, in Gina, and in Louisiana. And we're on the road to waking people up to some of the chronic injustice that still lives here. We're on the road to improving the lives of children. Now, some of you are social workers. I can look out there and I see you. Some of you are teachers. And I hope that all of you are voters. One of our members is on the school board, Charlotte Crawley. And there are days when Charlotte needs our help and support. Remember recently that a petition to teach Bible in the Caddo Parish schools came before the school board? It was a particular curriculum. Charlotte came to see me to talk about it. And the description of the curriculum, and I looked at what she brought to me, was pretty scary. Fortunately, the school board's attorney prevailed and the curriculum was not adopted. Charlotte asked at the meeting if response to petitions from religious groups was the process by which the school system approved new curricula (laughs) through petitions from religious groups. Of course it is not. And good for Charlotte for asking that question. We have people from this congregation making a difference all over the place in their regular jobs, in the way they live, and in the ways they give. And guess what? I don't see any of them wearing hair shirts. You are out there making the world better because you believe in that for its own sake, not because you are doing penance or trying to avoid the wrath of God. And I am proud to be one of you and proud to be part of this faith. Our Unitarian Universalist faith is not hypocritical. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs and principles that he or she does not actually possess. A person whose actions belie her stated beliefs. A hypocrite is a person who feigns some desirable or publicly approved attitude especially a person whose private life opinions or statements are inconsistent with his or her public statements. Now, we may find a few people behaving hypocritically amongst us from time to time, but our faith is not hypocritical. It is what it says it is. It is what it says it is. Our faith stresses responsible behavior, Much more than beliefs or creeds. Our Unitarian Universalist faith is not for wearing hair shirts. We stand up for what we think is right and just, and we raise our children to be righteous, intelligent, responsible, good citizens. We have one of the most progressive religious education programs imaginable. We do not instill guilt in children. When I was a little girl, I used to have nightmares about going to hell. It was not fun. We teach personal responsibility. We teach our children about sexuality so that they will know how to handle their sexuality with respect and responsibility. We instill love and compassion and joy. We help young people learn to work together, to collaborate, to solve problems, and to resolve differences with feeling and respect. The bonds that children and youth form at this church stay with them for the rest of their lives. And if you don't believe it, you ought to be around here some afternoon when all of a sudden a carload of kids drives up and comes in and says, Where's Miss Susan? Miss Susan just came in, and she doesn't have the slightest idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about our great religious education program. <laughs> you see it when a young person comes home from college or when someone visits after they've moved away. Because what our children learn here is special. They learn to live good lives that are inclusive, that consider the earth, animals, and other people. They do not learn to do penance. They are with people who practice what they preach, not with hypocrites. We don't let people work with our children until we've gotten to know them. Our children and youth are our dearest treasures. And the people who teach in the RE program are treasures, too, so the next time the next time you retrieve your child from religious education after church please be sure to thank your child's RE teacher and the folks who care for them in the nursery they are transforming the world through your children just as you are at home we need each other together we can preserve our freedom and as the religious historian dr alicia forsey says we can prevent healthcare from becoming a luxury. We can present, we can, excuse me, we can protect our wise elders and our innocent children. We can refuse to run our affairs according to the bottom line of the dollar. We can steward the resources of this earth. Dr. Forsey adds, if we try to be as quiet as possible, flying under the radar, We are practicing nothing more than hypocrisy. That will offer us no peace. Our forebears worked together to challenge the loyalty oath, finally winning in the Supreme Court. And you know how they did that? A bunch of wealthy churches out in California had plenty of money to defend themselves, and so... They agreed to pay the legal expenses of people in smaller churches when they didn't sign the loyalty oath. It was an amazing uh, effort of cooperation. We have challenges today as well, and we have to work together to overcome them. We Unitarian Universalists are not hypocrites. We do not come to church and then go home and revert to slovenly, evil ways. We are not perfect human beings. We are not perfect persons. And we do make mistakes. But for the most part, we are not afraid to put our money where our mouths are. Now, of course, there are times when we do get scared and we get timid And we worry about what people will think if we become an official welcoming congregation. But that will sort itself out in its own good time. Generally, and for the most part, as a denomination and as a congregation, we are not afraid to stick our necks out or to stand up for the little guys. I'm really, really, really proud of that. We don't just believe in our faith, we live our faith. I just love it. This congregation is about deeds, not creeds, and that transforms each of us into better persons. That's why I'm so proud that we can come together and work together. Most people don't come to this church to try to get into heaven or to avoid the punishment of hell. Most people come to this church because this may be as close to heaven as any of us are ever going to get. <laughs> and you know what? That's just fine with me. Look around. Hmm? Look around. Look around you. Huh? Look around you. Now, does it get any better than this? Hmm. Is it the building? building is beautiful yes it's absolutely splendid one of our african-american visitors said on the night of our pre-gina prayer service we can sit here and see god and talk to god right out there actually two of them said that to me we can sit in this church and see god and talk to god But this church is much, much more than our building. It's our congregation of holy people. You are holy people doing God's work as you understand it. You are holy people doing the work of the Lord. You are holy people searching for truth. You are holy people creating meaning in your lives. You are holy people doing the work to make the world free, to establish justice for all, to stop violence, to end racism, to end war, to educate people and free them from the bonds of ignorance. You are holy people and don't you ever forget it. You should be proud of yourselves. All Souls is an all-day, all-night church, not just an 11 o'clock Sunday morning church. There's important work going on here every day. We do respect the Sabbath on Monday. (laughs) I'll wager you that for a church the size of ours, there is more going on per person, per child, than in any other church in town. No minister could have asked for a finer first church. You know, I'm an old lady, but this is my first church. Did you all know that? Some of you do. It's is my first church. I often say that when I've made a lot of mistakes, so you can <laughs> forgive me. I never have done this before. I could have not asked for a more loving first marriage, an experience of mutual learning, mutual giving, and mutual sharing. Now, the Reverend Laurel Hallman, minister of the First Unitarian Church in Dallas, insists that ministry is not like a marriage. And she's got a point. But for me... Ministering with you all is very much like a covenant of marriage. It's a covenant of respect and responsibility that is entered into and practiced with love and affection, and most of the time with great joy. We are here not out of penance, not out of fear, not out of show, but for the joy of the spiritual journey that we share together. In this place... We are holy people living and working together without hypocrisy, without hair shirts. We are together in the love of community. We are together in search of the sacred. Our love of community and the sacred, like heaven itself, is right here. Right here in this unique, holy, and wildly wonderful congregation of all souls. Blessings, good health, and may your journeys be filled with adventures, love and laughter, great joy, and always with hope. Amen.